you know, I don't know when that song came out, but I remember the first time I heard it, I was probably like 10 or 12 years old, and the only thing I caught was like losing my religion. And I thought, man, that's a bummer for a guy to feel like he's hit some point in his life where he wonders if, you know, if things are going this way, maybe God's not real after all. And then I hear it again as an adult, and I think, man, I really like this song. I can, I can relate to this song. Because you notice it's the moment that he says, I can't keep up. That's when he says, oh, no, I've said too much. And don't we feel that way sometimes? Like as everything else is racing past us in life and we are racing to try to keep up, I don't want to be the guy that admits this is too much for me. You watch that, that video of Murphy talking to his wife, and it feels like, I have to keep going. I have to live up to it. I have to do what's being demanded of me. But the truth is, Murphy has those moments. We've all had those moments. The boss, Stanton, has had those moments too. And that's the other thing I love in that song is he says, I've said too much. I haven't said enough. There's actually another moment that needs to happen there. Which, honestly, one of the ways that you're going to get the most out of this series over the next few weeks is if you kind of let your guard down, that it's okay to have the moment where I say, I think this is beyond me. I think this is too much. I, I too, have those moments that I'm laying in bed, staring at the ceiling, or sitting in my chair, staring into space, you know, looking at 50 more emails that are waiting for an answer, and I think, there's more to it than this, right? Because I'm feeling overwhelmed. And so rather than taking that as a negative, what the Bible wants to set up for us is that there is actually a God-centered way to respond to that kind of thing. That there is a way that's actually drawn out of who God is that will help us in this. And part of that idea that we're going to unpack over the next few weeks is this idea of eternal life. Now, I know that's a big concept to wrap your head around. It, it is still one for me that it's like, theoretically, I can believe it. But it's hard to understand. Like, really? Time that goes on forever? But if there is something after this life, then we start to think about time differently. Like, as you watch Murphy and his wife have that conversation, do you really think the most important thing to him is if the earbuds got packed? Well, no, but right now he just needs to know if the earbuds got packed, right? But what if we thought about time differently? What if instead of constantly feeling like you're running out of time, what if you had all the time in the world. Would you do anything differently? Is there anything you're not doing right now that you would do? Or, or anything you're doing right now that you wouldn't do? See, and I like this question better than, you know, sometimes you hear people say, live every day like it was your last you know, and every time I hear that or, or every time you go to a funeral and somebody reminds you, hey, hug your kids and live every day like it's your last. None of us know how much time we have. That's true. But if I lived every day like it was my last, like that's hard to live up to. That, that gives me like almost like a guilt trip, right? Because if today was my last day, I love you all, but I'd probably be with my kids right now. <laughs> if today was my last day, I would not run to Kroger for some groceries later. If I lived every day like it was my last day, that means we'd never get groceries. Like, I have to get groceries sometime, right? You can't really live every day like it's your last day. That mentality treats it as if I'm constantly running out of time. But what if you had all the time in the world? How might you think about things differently? How might that reshape the way you live even the normal moments of your life? 
<clears throat> so maybe to help you wrap your head around this a little bit, this, uh, Chad and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and I was like, oh, it's, it's like going to the zoo. Okay, so bear with me. When we first moved to Cincinnati, one of the things that I love about this city, like I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Chicago's a lot of fun, but it is hard work to get downtown and have any fun in Chicago. It's like plan to be in the car for three hours, <laughs> even if you live 20 minutes away. What I love about Cincinnati, you get the small town feel, but you have all the big time amenities. Like the zoo here is amazing. So the first time that we went to the zoo with our kids, it's like we get there right when it opens, we park as close as we can, I got the map and we can see where all the animals are. It's like, guys, we're going to do the zoo today. So we got to keep a pace if we're going to see every single animal, right? And like my kids were like seven and under, you know, or something at the time. And by the end of the day, I've made a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, you know, walk seven miles. And we can't, I know you like the gorillas, man, but we got about two minutes for the gorillas because then we got to go see the bats and then we got to get the thing. Because supposedly you got to get to the hippos. I hear the hippos are a big thing in Cincinnati. So let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Right? If you live like you're running out of time, you don't actually have that much fun at the zoo. So then what we learned is... By the seasons pass. And I, I am not sponsored by the zoo today, so, so you don't have to go by the seasons pass. But what I realized was the first time we went to the zoo while owning a seasons pass, hey, you want to watch the gorillas play for 45 minutes? That's fine. We can see the hippos next time. We've got all the time in the zoo, right? It reshapes the way you think about things if there's no limit to the time you have. And so the Bible actually paints a picture that the life we're living now is really just the beginning, just a snapshot, just a sliver of a longer life that is being offered to us. And so the advice and the instruction that comes to us for this life always has that in view. And so a perfect example of this comes from a book in the Bible that is called Ephesians. It's basically a letter from a guy we know as the Apostle Paul to some of his friends who did not grow up going to church. They did not know about Jesus. But when they heard about who Jesus was, they decided to follow him. And now they're trying to figure out how do we live that out? So Paul writes this letter to help them understand it. And this is what he says in Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Okay, so this is one of those verses. It's going to be really helpful, but there's words here that we don't use that often, right? Like who uses circumspectly in their day-to-day -day conversation? Like I have to look these up to know what they mean. So when he tells them to walk circumspectly, you know, walk is just this idea of how you move through your life. But circumspectly, the Greek word behind that actually means something like diligently and purposefully. Right? Not just floating through my days, racing through my days, then looking back and saying, oh my goodness, where did the day go? Where does the time go? But to be diligent and to be purposeful. And in fact, the Latin word from where that we get circumspectly from, you can kind of see it. Circum, like circumference, around. Spect, like spectacles or spectator, right? To see. He's basically saying, look around. Sometimes we have our nose so close to the grindstone that life is passing us by even as we're passing through life. He's saying, pick your head up. Look around. Be thoughtful. That's going to be the difference between the fool and the wise. Now, the Bible uses those two words a lot to compare the person who's living the life the way that you would want to, you would hope for. That's the wise person. And the person who's just missing it is the fool. 
you know, and sometimes it's depicted as like rebellion against God. Sometimes it's just depicted as not paying attention. And that's kind of the picture here. Like whatever your picture of a foolish person looks like, he's characterizing it as a person who just doesn't stop to look around. Or to put it another way, his advice to us is watch where you're going. Watch where you're going. That's what we're constantly telling little kids, right? You know, because they're talking while looking backwards and they crash into somebody else. Uh, I do that in the atrium out here sometimes, so I apologize. (laughs) Watch where you're going. My wife is still telling me. You know, if you're an investor, this is obvious, right? You, You have to watch where you're going. You don't invest based on the way that you feel for the next five minutes. You've got to have a long range plan. You know, like Stephen Covey would always say, begin with the end in mind. Right? That's what Paul is saying for our actual lives, for our day-to-day. That yes, there is a big picture of this, that if there really is something after this life, I want to watch where I'm going. What does it take to get to the place that I want to be if there is something after this life? But it also begins today. So how do we, how do we lift kind of out of the chaos You know, all of the phone calls that are ringing off the hook, the emails that seem like once we were done with phones and you thought, oh, thank goodness, the phone's not ringing off the hook, it just means your pocket's buzzing all day because you've got another email, another text, you know, more paperwork that has to be done. And those things always drive us forward, right? In the video, according to Boss Stanton, the most important thing about Murphy is not his family, it's not his kids, it's not his downtime, it's not his recreation, it's this one meeting, right? Because that's the thing they share in common. So that's naturally the thing that is driving them in that arena. But those things begin to take over our lives unless we stop, reflect, and watch where we're going. I've learned this the hard way in my life a couple of times with some periods of, of essentially major burnout. So that now I will actually, when I calendar my time, I'll work like six to 12 months ahead and block out entire days that are just for long-range thinking and planning. And often by the time I get to those days, there's a couple other things that need to be done or sometimes I have to swap them around, but creating that space has given me so much greater of a sense of purpose and peace as I'm planning things for work, as I'm planning things for family. So to watch where we're going is something that I think, especially for a culture like ours, that is always racing, right? There's always one more thing to do, one more thing to track down. But this would have meant a lot to the Ephesians as well. Because the Ephesians were from a city called Ephesus, right? You live in Ephesus, you're called an Ephesian, right? You live in America, you're called an American. And you can see a picture here of the great theater at Ephesus. So Ephesus, you know, sometimes you think about this, these things happened 2,000 years ago. How could they relate to us, right? Well, you see this theater. Uh, Ephesus, actually much like Cincinnati, was very steeped in the arts. They had excellent fine arts. This theater would have seated 25,000 people. And if you see it from another angle... You can see that the main thoroughfare is leading directly out from the theater through the marketplace and at that time would have gone all the way to the bay. So every merchant ship, every vacationer who came into Ephesus comes down that main road through the marketplace where they're doing business into the theater where they experience the fine arts of the Greco-Roman world. Not only that, but they also had one of the biggest libraries in the Roman Empire, And this is the Library of Celsus, the facade of which you can still see standing today. So what that means is they're extremely wealthy, they're extremely cultured, and they're extremely educated. They are 
very much like modern-day Cincinnati. This is very much like us. They didn't have cell phones and they didn't have email. What a wonderful world that must have been. <laughs> but they were every bit as busy because they had to do everything without cell phones and email. <laughs> you had to, like, send a messenger across town if you had something to say to one of your business partners. So they were living the same kind of rapid pace life where business is pushing us, entertainment is pushing us, family is pushing us, and how do we kind of live through this balancing act? So as you hear these things, I want you to think of them very similar to us because then Paul is going to try to outline, well, what does it look like then to live wisely in that state? What does it look like to live foolishly in that state? And this won't be on the screen, but I just want to give you a couple of the other things he says in this letter. So here's how he describes a foolish person. He says they live with futility in their mind. Okay, so always racing but never getting anywhere. They have their understanding darkened, being alienated from God. They've given themselves over to lewdness, to uncleanness, and greediness. That at the foundation of their foolishness is greediness. I thought that was really interesting because uh, probably all of us can admit that we're, they, we've been greedy sometimes or we are greedy, you know, like that moment when there's only one slice of pizza left. You know, and you kind of look around like hoping nobody notices that you are going to take the last piece. Then you feel bad, so you say like, you don't say, does anybody want this? You say, nobody wants this, right? Or do you care if I take the last piece? Because otherwise one of your kids is going to say, I want it. Okay, so maybe it's just me, but there's a little example of greed. But that's, it's the same thing though, right? If our time is running out, right, if this life is all I have, then I've got, what, 70, 80 years to get the most out of it that I can. Um, I feel bad saying this, but for me, I want a good job. I want a career. I want to advance as quickly as I can. I want to retire as quickly as I can because I'm running out of time. And there's a little bit of fear that kind of motivates this, I need a little bit more that he's calling greed. On the flip side of that, he starts to describe a wise person and I love how there's, there's almost nothing like momentous, earth-shattering about this, but just very practical in the different moments of the day. Hey, put away lying and speak truth to one another. Oh, that does sound like a good, a good way to use my time. I mean, if I'm going to use my time, lying, telling the truth. Yeah, okay. Put away lying, speak truth. Another example he gives is let him who has been stealing, uh-huh, uh-huh, Steal no longer, okay, but get a job so that you can give to others. You see how he flips the greed, right? The person who's been stealing because it's a little more for me, that person who's been a little dishonest because it's a little more for me, it's not just stop it, it's replace it with something better. In fact, instead of more for me, what if it was more for other people? So he says, get rid of bitterness, wrath, anger. Replace it with kindness, being tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So the ultimate example of the person who lives wisely is Christ himself. It reminded me of a buddy of mine a few years ago. Um, he was getting ready to retire. He had built a company that he was uh, preparing to sell, and he had recently become a Christ follower. And so we got together for coffee. It was the first time I'd ever just gotten coffee with him. Like the two of us were just going to get to know each other better. 
And it was really interesting to hear him talk about having started this process, building this company, building it for the purpose of selling it because he knew he was going to retire, so how could he pass it on and how much could he make from this sale? He said, and since becoming a Christ follower, I just I think about it a little bit differently. And, and now I'm thinking... Instead of just, how much could I sell because that number would make me feel like I won? It was like, I wonder how much I could sell this for so that I could give more away. I never expected to find that in my own heart. I've just never thought that way before. And it's been so much fun thinking, this will provide for me, provide for my family, provide for my kids and grandkids. And, and I wonder who else. I wonder where else in the world... I could make some impact and do some good because of the way that God has blessed me through this. You see, that is somebody who's learning to walk circumspectly, to watch where he's going. And so if you come back to those verses, to that same advice, when he says this, see then that you walk circumspectly, right? Watch where you're going, not as fools, but as wise. And look at the second instruction, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And same thing, I don't know how often you talk about evil, and you can think about our culture compared to their culture, but it doesn't take much to convince us that the days we live in are evil, right? Like last week on this stage, we prayed about a, a shooting that was averted in our own community, and like a couple days later, there's a, a shooting at the Super Bowl parade that the Chiefs had. Like, even if, we, even if we want to be good people, we just know there's broken stuff in the world, and sometimes when I look internally, I have to realize, hey, I, I may not put myself, like, I always do these things, like, there's Mother Teresa over here, there's Hitler over here. I'm not either one of those, right? Like, I'm not going to pretend I'm as great as Mother Teresa or, or Jesus, who's like in his own category, but I'm definitely not Hitler, so like, I'm doing okay, right? And yet, I've lied, I've been greedy, I've been selfish, I've given in to temptation, like... Life is hard, and there are things that try to convince us, and sometimes it's just in us, to do things we know we shouldn't do. So the solution to that that he's offering them is, as we are watching where we're going, he says, redeem the time. So redeem is another one of those words that I think in my normal language, I used it most for like coupons. <laughs> I'm going to redeem a coupon. Uh, when the Bible talks about it, it's a little bit different. It, it does still carry the idea to buy back. But the picture is more relational. Usually it's used for how people have been separated from God and how Jesus, by paying the penalty for our wrongdoing on the cross, buys us back to God. And so that becomes sort of a metaphor for buying things back and turning them toward the good. Okay? So when he says redeem the time, that's basically what he's saying. Hey, the days are evil. Monday's going to have evil in it, Tuesday's going to have evil in it, Wednesday's going to have things go wrong, Thursday's going to have people that drive you nuts. But how can you turn the time towards something good? And in Greek, they've got two different words for time. So they both get translated as time for us, but this was originally written in Greek, so it's helpful to know because one of them is chronos. Now, that one we're pretty familiar with. It's where we get our word chronology. Well, chronos essentially means like seconds and minutes and hours time that is ticking away, right? Time that you can never get back. In fact, the picture that you see here is actually a sundial they found in Ephesus. They would put a little stick at the top and the shadow of the stick would pass across these lines so they could tell just how much chronos had ticked away. But the word here is different. The word he's using here is kairos. 
And kairos is more like a season of time. And not like fall or winter, but like a season in which there's an opportunity. So it becomes something more like an opportune time, the right time, or a pivotal moment. So what he's telling us here is to make the most of every opportunity. Because chronos, the seconds and minutes and hours that are ticking away and have ticked away, they're gone. You can never get chronos back. But a pivotal moment, you think about that differently. Maybe yesterday I had an opportunity for a pivotal moment and I missed it. I will never get yesterday back. But that doesn't mean that I can't take that opportunity today because I have more chronos today. I can take advantage of the kairos, take advantage of this moment, take advantage of this opportunity to make the most of it. Now, one of the ways that I feel that most heavily in my own life, I think, is with my kids. So my oldest is 14 now, and she won't stop talking about how close she is to driving. <laughs> like, hey, can we not go there? <laughs> um, also, once you get your license, can you start driving your brothers everywhere, and then I won't have to? So <laughs> kind of a trade-off here, right? But guys, I'm telling you, like, there are times where I just wake up in the middle of the night, and you're trying to fall back asleep, but instead you stare at the ceiling and think about all the time you've wasted. She's already 14. That means she's going to, I've only got like four years left. I've wasted so much time. What am I going to do? And you're, you know, you're half awake and you're not thinking clearly. But deep in us, there's something that's like, I want to succeed really probably with my family more than anything else. And if I only think of it in terms of time, you can't get those 14 years back. But hey, if God is good to me and I wake up tomorrow, then what words of encouragement will I speak to her? tomorrow. Hey, a month from now, a year from now, when she does get her license, how do I think ahead? How do I watch where we're going together and plan those pivotal moments? That rather than fretting over what is past or worrying today that I haven't done enough or I'm not good enough or this isn't good enough, or worrying that, you know, what if, what if I have to pull back from work to spend more time on my family and it costs me a promotion? What if it's just a promotion and there's something else that I'm prioritizing? One of my good friends here at Horizon, a guy who's just all over the business world in Cincinnati and is connected, like everyone I meet, it's like they know this guy. So I'm like, oh, yeah, well, so do I. So I'm connected too, you know. But as I was talking to him one day, because I figure like this guy is absolutely the picture of winning at work and at home. Hey, I want to know how to do that. And you know these people, right? For me, I'm thinking like I'm bringing a notebook, I'm bringing a pen, like whatever he says, I'm writing it down and I got pages and pages. Like I'm ready because it's probably complicated, but I'm willing. He says, here's, here's the easiest thing. Like I will take easy too, right? Set the notebook aside. What's easy? He said the number one thing I tell guys when I'm mentoring them early in their career, close the laptop and go home at 6 o'clock. Like, okay, like, in general, though, right? Because there's a lot of times I look at the clock, and it's 6 o'clock, but I just got to finish this. He said, nope, even if you're in the middle of something, go home at 6 o'clock, and then, you know, have dinner with your family, spend the evening with the kids, because you can always work again after they go to bed. And I thought, that is brilliant. I guess I can. So 
finish at six o'clock, go home, spend the time with the family because nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, I can bust that thing back open and I'm going to finish this thing tonight. And so as I tried to live this out, I found out, he told me this too, um, you never come back to it after they go to bed. Because <laughs> by then, like your brain has calmed down, nothing blew up in the meantime, and you realize the work will still be there in the morning when you're actually sharper because you haven't been working all day. So maybe I get up a little early and get a kickstart on it, or maybe I'm just thinking fresher and the time goes better. But I've never once, he says, never has anyone come back to me and say, that they regretted blocking out that time for family. You know, that no one's ever come back to him and said, if only I'd gotten that promotion instead of spending that time with my family. And guys, I don't mean for that to be like a guilt trip at all, because even when I'm watching like Murphy and his wife, and I'm like, yeah, I know, but at the same time, like it is due tomorrow. I gotta finish it. And those moments happen. But I think it's when that becomes like a pattern that I'm starting to check myself, like, Am I watching where I'm going? Am I making the most of opportunities? If I had to finish that project and I had to take that trip, then when I'm home, am I leaning into the moments with my daughter, with my son, my son, my son, and my wife? You know, am I calling those friends that are important to me? And am I making use of those pivotal moments? You know, one of the ways that might help you to do that uh, my kids weren't this little when we first came to Horizon, but we do something here called a child dedication. So we don't do infant baptism at Horizon, but what we do is a child dedication. And really the purpose of it is to kind of look ahead, to watch where you're going with your own kids. And so it's a chance both to honor what you want to be for them as parents, but also how you want to help your kids explore God the way that you're exploring God. That if you want to lead them to know Him, that this is a great opportunity. It's actually... The event is March 17th, but there are parent meetings next week on the 25th and then again on March 10th to just kind of talk more about what it is. But one of the things that I love that they do as a part of this is you write a letter for your child. You know, maybe they're like five and under that they're going to read when they're 18 about how you were painting a picture of what life would be like for them, who they would grow to be as a man or a woman, and how that they would grow to know God the way you are growing to know God. So if that's of interest to you or you have kids kind of in that age range, obviously you can see more details in the program or, or on the website. Because the idea is that we want to make the most of the time rather than always worrying that we're running out. And there's one other passage in the Old Testament that I really love that paints this picture. It's Psalm 90. And if you've heard of the Psalms before, they're, they're kind of like a journal entry where these, these poets and singers and kings would be, basically be writing their thoughts to God. And so in Psalm 90, this is how he puts it. He gets kind of negative. He says, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are actually 80 years, well, what do we have to show for it? Their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So he paints this picture that we only live 70 years. And if we're really healthy and we make it to 80, what do we get? More sorrow, more work, more pain. And then we die and God's probably angry at us anyway. It's pretty dark, right? But look at how he pulls it back in the last line. It's almost as if to say, but I know that's not what life is really about. So here's what he wants God to teach him. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Just like Ephesians was talking about being wise. Numbering his days doesn't lead him to guilt or fear. Rather, when he counts how many days he has, knowing that he doesn't know how many, 
then each day becomes a chance for one of those pivotal moments. When I was a kid, one of my favorite books was The Little Prince. I don't know if you, any of you have ever read this. Um, don't bother with the movie. I, sorry, you can bother with the movie if you like it. <laughs> my daughter says my opinions are too strong, so I'm working on that. Uh, the Little Prince was one of my favorite books as a kid, and it was written by a man named Anton de Saint-Exupéry, which is exactly how the French say it. Uh, I've been practicing that name, and I, don't, I still don't know if that's right. But what I loved about this book is it, it is a little bit strange. Like, to access it, you almost have to try to think like a child who doesn't know how adults worry and how adults get stressed. And so as I was reading more about the author, when Anton wrote this book, he was actually a successful commercial pilot. And he had a very successful career. And when World War II came, he actually flew reconnaissance. And he was part of a committee that came over to the United States to try to help persuade uh, the United States to enter into the war. And so he had all of this experience. But a few years before that, because he's a guy's guy and commercial pilot isn't enough, he was also trying to set the speed record. So one day, he's racing against another plane, trying to set the speed record, but something goes wrong with his plane, and they crash-landed in the desert. When he crashed, he only had one day's worth of liquid, and they didn't find him for four days. So obviously, later he went on to be in the war. He survived this, but he was nearly dead, and it took a while to nurse him back to health. And that experience, honestly, you see a lot of that in the pilot character that's even in this book. But a lot of that reshaped the way that he thought about time and how you spend it. And I would think, man, if you almost die in the desert, then, you, you know, live every day like it's your last. You never know when you're going to die in the desert, right? And you, you, you must just start thinking like you're constantly running out of time because you never know. You never know. But that's not what it did for him. Instead, for him, it was more like it made him realize that every moment was precious and that there are things that are worth slowing down and spending time on. And so one of the images that he uses in this book is that the little prince who comes from a faraway planet has a rose that he's taking care of so carefully. And when he gets to earth, he finds that there are actually lots of roses, and he wonders if, if his is still special. And so he's told that it is the time you have wasted for your rose that makes your rose so important. See, the rose in the book was actually a metaphor for the author's wife. That for all the things you can spend your time on in, in war and trying to convince the states to enter the war and breaking speed records and all of these other things that he enjoyed, ultimately it was the people. That because our chronos is always ticking away, where I'm giving my chronos, where I'm creating moments of kairos, opportunities with people, that's what lasts forever. That's an eternal investment. Right? Because my career, the speed record, and my plane, you know, those things are temporal. But people are forever. And so this same message comes through in the book of Ephesians because just a couple paragraphs before this, Paul actually draws this conclusion about the way we live. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. But that's that same picture we saw of the way Christ shows his friendship last week. 
that the ultimate show of love and friendship from Jesus was to lay down his life for us. In fact, one of the most famous things that Jesus ever said, you've probably heard this verse, it's John 3.16. You probably see it on football players' eye black, you know, more than you even see the actual verse. But these are the words that he spoke. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, whoever has that little faith in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. So if the moments spent on people are the most valuable, think about what it means that God himself wants to spend everlasting moments with you. So as we go through this series, over the next few weeks, I would love it if you would begin to consider in your mind, what would it look like to have a little more faith today than you did yesterday? Maybe a little more this week than you did last week. Maybe a little more this year than you did last year. What would it look like to live like God gives you more than all the time in the world? That as we see more about what his picture of eternal life could be like, what it could be like to break through to that kind of life, the kind of evidence that he shows for his resurrection that makes us realize we can have confidence in our resurrection. Some days it feels like your nose is to the grindstone and you can't even see where you're going. Like you're trying to walk circumspectly, but you're walking in the dark. And maybe what you need is to just have a little more faith to follow his lead. Man, that's really good. Just hearing that line. For us, time is a friend. For us, time has no end. All you got to do is have a little faith in me. Can you hear that from God's heart to yours this morning? Let me pray for you. God, I do just thank you that you have the big picture. You know, when we are just rushed by a, a hundred things, you know, Lord, even just think about like, I know I've got a flight in the morning, you know, and I'm probably not the only one in this room. God, would you help us in those moments to see what you have planned for our life, to see the opportunities, to see those pivotal moments that you want to share with us, that we can share with the people that we care about. Lord, that we would not live as if we're constantly running out of time, but begin to understand what it means to have never-ending time with you and putting a little faith in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for this morning. I just pray that you be with each of us as we leave this place. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.